This episode of Standard Orbit is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 180,000 titles for smartphone, tablet, and desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice and help Trek FM at the same time, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And also by Enterprise in Space, an international program for the nonprofit National Space Society. Find out how you can help science and education and become a virtual crew member aboard the NSS Enterprise Orbiter by visiting enterpriseinspace.org. Want to join the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field. We look forward to seeing you there. This is George Decay. You're listening to Standard Orbit on Trek FM. If you're not listening, you're missing out. Oh my. You're a rainy day. I can't change the laws of physics. Now in standard orbit, sir. Welcome, everyone, to Standard Orbit, Trek FM's dedicated podcast to the original and new cast of Captain Kirk and the Enterprise. I am Zach Moore, and this week we are privileged to be joined by longtime listener, supporter, and patron of Standard Orbit, Mr. Tim Robertson. Welcome aboard, Tim. Hey, thanks a lot, Zach. It's good to be here. Yes, we, we this has been a long time coming. We 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 actually got to hang out quite a bit uh, last year at SDLV and and uh, had a lot of good times together. And we talked about you being on Stand River back then, but here you are. Better, <laughs> so I'm glad we finally made it happen. Hey, better be, better late than never. You know, it's always a lot of fun. That's right. And yeah, and t- like I said, Tim has been supported and, and been a patron of the show for a long, long time. So this is a long time coming. So thank you, sir, for your generous support of the show. No problem. It's been an honor. Love the show. Now, as a hardcore Star Trek fan, NASA employee, and a host of the Observer's Notebook podcast, the official podcast of the Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers, I can think of no better guest to discuss with us the topic of this week's podcast, Voyager. No, not that Voyager. Oh, wait, wait, wait. I wore my <laughs> Captain Proton t-shirt today. I, what do you mean? I, oh, I have to redo this? Okay. I was wondering why you were wearing a hollow emitter, Tim, but I think <laughs> I think we got something uh, was lost in translation there. No, so uh, the Voyager program in the 1970s that, as we all know, ended in the late 20th century when Voyager 6 was lost into what we used to call a black hole. But before we get into any of that, uh, let's talk about you some, Tim. How did you first become a Star Trek fan? How much of a role did that play in you choosing your career? Those, that kind of stuff. Okay, well, I've been a Star Trek fan since I think uh, well February or in February September 1966. I was nine years old when the very first episode aired, so I remember watching it back then. We had just gotten our first color TV uh, a few weeks prior, so we had a living color on our television. <laughs> it was amazing, and I was a fan ever since. And as for my uh, Interest in NASA that well during that time all, we had you know the NASA Apollo program going on and my dad actually worked for NASA so that interest along with him and getting me into it and watching Star Trek I mean they just blended together perfectly yeah and I, and I think that is a real testament to Star Trek as a franchise just you know it goes beyond just entertainment I think you you hear all these stories about people that that went into science and engineering and and nasa itself because they love starship because they want to be a part of space exploration like like me personally i wanted to be an astronaut when i was a kid because i love star trek 
But unfortunately, I wasn't that good at science or math, so I settled into other things. Uh, which that, that's a, that's a roadblock if you want to become an astronaut, and for good reason. Uh, but but yeah, just, just Star Trek can can touch you in all those ways. So 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 that's awesome. You have a, like a NASA legacy in your family, and then also Star Trek as well. And um, and to that point. You know, so how did you get involved with the uh, the Lunar Planetary Observers uh, Association and start your podcast, The Observer's Notebook? Well, I've been an amateur astronomer my entire life. Uh, I think I first got my first telescope around seven or eight years old. Started looking at the moon and the planets. I was born and raised in the San Fernando Valley, which is a very light polluted area, and all we could see were the planets and the moon. So I gravitated toward that area of astronomy. And when I was in high school, I joined the ALPO and through the years, they have a training program. I took that, graduated from that, and learning how to observe the moon and planets. And now I run the training program in the group. And a few years ago, I approached them with the idea of generating new members and younger members with a podcast. And now, two years later, we have about 65 episodes online, and our listenership keeps growing. It's a lot of fun. I'm really enjoying doing that podcast. That's awesome. Yeah, and I recommend if anybody wants to hear about you know uh, astronomical uh, phenomena and whatnot, tune, tune into that one. So, and, and you've got some other podcasts working, too. We'll, we'll plug those later on down the road here. Sounds good. So, again, what I've always wanted to talk about this on Standard Orbit, you know, the Voyager program. You know, I mean, because of Star Trek, the motion picture, I mean, I think that's probably the first time I learned about <laughs> Voyager was, you know, it's again, Star Trek using science facts, spinning in science fiction, turning it back around and making, you know, people who are interested kind of aware of and tuning into the real world science and astronomy and space exploration and things like that. So that's that's what's great about Star Trek. And uh, you know, Star Trek, the motion picture had Voyager six. Uh, but as uh, <laughs> but as we all know, that w- that wasn't real. Uh, there was only two, but mm-hmm. that ins- that was inspired by the probes from the seventies. So, so Tim, if you you could speak out, what what was kind of the the genesis and the mission objective of these Voyager probes? Was it really to to learn all that is learnable, or what what was their goal when they created these Voyager probes? Well, the the two Voyager probes, there's only Voyager one and two, like you mentioned. Uh, they were initially going to be Mariner probes because at the time that the mission going on was the Mariner, so they were actually going to be Mariner eleven and twelve. But as the mission design was moving along, the spacecraft design was moving along, the change in spacecraft and mission really wasn't anywhere near the old Mariner program. So that's when they came up with the name Voyager. So the Voyager 1 and 2. Um, And to learn all that we can learn, well, it was more or less to observe all that we can observe. That's really it. the, The computing power of the Voyager spacecraft was about one billionth of what you have in your cell phone, so it really couldn't learn very much. <laughs> so, so we don't need to be concerned about it coming back in about three hundred years and wiping out the Earth. Is that correct? No. Okay. I, I don't think so. Okay. It won't be that far out in three hundred years. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. We'll talk about that some more later too, because I'm going to talk about how far it's gone and that kind of stuff. But yeah, I mean, so there's a legacy of space probes here. You know, the Mariner, Voyager, uh, you know, Pioneer is another one. Like, like what? Like to me, as a late, even though I am interested in NASA stuff, don't get me wrong. Uh, but I, I haven't really delved into the nitty gritty. So, like, what, what is like? Why is Voyager more advanced than than those other series of probes? Uh, just to compare it to Pioneer. Pioneer started in the 1950s, and it was mostly lunar probes. Uh, Pioneer five went to Venus. Uh, six and nine were to study space weather. You know, the solar wind and things like that, and what the what effect the solar radiation has on the Earth. Uh, Pioneer 10 and 11 were launched in 1972 and 1973, and they went to Jupiter and Saturn, but they weren't 
they weren't as sophisticated as what Voyager was. And uh, Pioneer 12 and 13 were launched in 78, and those were Venus probes as well. So it's it's there, there was a difference. I mean, technology is the one thing that really separates the two. Yeah, it's you know, I would compare it, I guess, like the, the iPhones, right? They all look kind of the same, you know, but the, mm-hmm. but the interior, the operating system, the camera, all the things inside of it are what are different. Because if you, if you show someone who's not really familiar with smartphones, like, okay, here's the original iPhone and here's the iPhone 5S, you're like, okay, this one's a little lighter, but it's still this, this black rectangle. You know, it's a rectangular prism. But it's the camera technology, too, that's really improved with the iPhones over the years. Yeah, I mean, that that's the main reason I upgrade iPhones. Like I, I usually go yeah, yeah. two and a half years or so. I kind of stretch it out. But I'm like, okay, the camera is like, all right, now I have to get this one, right? Now we need the battery technology to catch up to that, <laughs> and everything will be much better. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, the, the more processing power you have, the more, the more this thing drains. But, uh, but anyway, that's a, right. that's, that's a conversation yeah. for another time. So... Yeah, I mean, and, you know, as we all know, Pioneer was destroyed by the Klingons in Star Trek V. I believe that was one of the Pioneer probes, if I'm not mistaken, when uh, uh, the, the, the claw yeah. shoots, it out of the, shoots it out of the sky. So we have multiple NASA probes making appearances in the original Star Trek movies. Got to love that. So, um, <laughs> But anyway, yeah, so, so Voyager, I mean, it looks – they're all very similar in appearance. Like they have their, their big dish, if you will, mm-hmm. uh, and you kind of have the outstretched arms, and then you have, a, you have the, the, the gold plate with like the, uh, the, all the information and, uh, that they put on there. So who, who determined like what we were going to put on these discs? Because the idea was of an alien civilization kind of comes across this kind of thing. Right. What would they find? What 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 kind of knowledge do we want to give to those aliens and stuff? So, so what what council of elders came up with what we were going to represent our our uh, culture with to aliens? Well, the main driving force behind it was Carl Sagan. Uh, Carl Sagan, he was a professor at Cornell University. I saw him lecture at UCLA a number of years ago, and he was the driving force behind the Golden Record that's on the Voyager program. Both of the Voyagers have this golden record. It's a 12-inch gold-plated disc. It's got a record player built into it so they can actually play the record. And it's got uh, the saying hello in 55 different languages of Earth. It's got music. It's got sounds of Earth, birds chirping, all sorts of different things like that. And there's also analog images, 115 images of things on Earth that were sent out there. And it's to give anybody that finds it, you know, a, an understanding of who we are. How do they expect them to read it though? You know, like that, that has always been the curious thing to me. Like, Oh, we're going to put this on here. And then like, I mean, I, you can't even get an iPhone to, to interact with a, with a PC sometimes. And they expect some alien to find this, this gold disc of all our information, like, like very ambitious. Like, I think that's great that we did that, but I just like, what is, do they think they'd be so advanced they can read any reverse, they can reverse compatibility of their advanced technology, be able to read ours. Like, is that kind of the thought there? Yeah, there are, there are drawings showing how to put the record player together type of thing (laughs) on it. So it's, it's, if, if the, if the, if the species who defines the probe is smart enough to capture it, I can only hope they're smart enough to play a record. So the, uh, it's like those Ikea instructions where it's like, you will need a friend. To, to a <laughs> get two friends <laughs> and this strange tool you never see before. Oh boy, yeah. So no, that, that's great. And, and, you know, it's it's uh, you know, I think about kind of jumping over the wall. You know, I think about you know Enterprise. You know, when Archer's out there and they they find the first aliens. They're like, oh, mm-hmm. we've sent you a chart of our solar system. And it's like yeah, that's kind of tr- it's very trusting. You know, of the of the extraterrestrials out there because what if they have if they have their if they're not uh, well, you know, if they have more malicious intent. 
you know, that, that could be a bad thing. <laughs> but, uh, but hey, we have hope for a, for a better future of aliens and humans That's alike. Right. So, so we're, we're, we, we prefer to believe in people and aliens and that they have good intentions. Yes. Because, yeah, because that's the, that's the whole point. Like, again, like, part of the point is, you know, they want to observe Saturn, Jupiter, that kind of stuff. But, you know, much like SETI down the road, right, we, we you know, we want to reach out and, and communicate with whoever might be out there. I mean, that's kind of like a sub-goal of, of the original goal, obviously, of these of these mm-hmm. probes because they want to take pictures and transmit that stuff back. So it's, it's incredible that we're still receiving data from these probes, right? I mean, so... How how long will they be able to collect information until they've either gone too far out or or their systems fail? Well, they're expected to operate through 2020, so we're about a year away from that. But the problem is power, and uh, they have limited power. And as as the power decreases, that we have a number of instruments that are still operating on Voyager, so we're looking at those. But they figure around 2025, there'll no longer be any power to support any scientific instruments. So it's probably another five, six years. Wow. I mean, but but still, guys, I mean, that's, that is that is like a good 50 years almost. Uh, or, or, yeah, exactly yeah. 50 years or, or so from when yeah, they were it's launched. Been, it's been 41 years yes. for or, uh, Voyager 1 right now, yeah. yeah so they, they do not make them like they used to. <laughs> I mean, so what happens to them then? They, they just kind of keep floating out into space? or, or, yeah, or I mean, the, I, yeah, the, I guess, yeah, I guess there's momentum, right? The laws of, thermo, the laws of yeah. thermodynamics, they're just going to keep going and going and going, right? They'll keep going, yeah, and, and and they're not going very slow right now. I mean, what is it? Uh, the velocity of Voyager one is thirty eight thousand twenty six miles an hour, so it's it's moving pretty good out there in space to ca- capture something like that. You got to really move <laughs> now. Assuming like because because we won't you know we won't really know unless we like get a get a spaceship fast enough to go catch up to these probes, right? Uh, like would. Like even when the battery dies, like that means it's so. So just to wrap my mind around it, right? Like it's 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 still collecting data, correct? Mm-hmm. Does it have like an internal storage system for this data, or is it all just kind of a pass through straight back to Earth? Well, the 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 memory of the Voyager is about less than seventy kilobytes. Oh wow! Okay. <laughs> one, and one byte is one typed character. Like an iPhone 5 has 240,000 times the memory of a Voyager. So if people complain that they can't do anything with their iPhone, you know, imagine what it could do if it was attached to a spacecraft like Voyager. Wow. <laughs> and the, 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 the images we got back from, uh, from Voyager were actually on a data, uh, data tape, digital data tape. So they would record, and then when they were in a space where the spacecraft wasn't doing anything else, they would then transmit that tape data back to the Earth. So they're just keeping like really old technology around. Is that is that correct? Like just just to receive this information, or how, how's that, how's it work on our end? Like on NASA, like like are they just going to keep this stuff around until like twenty twenty five, and then finally put it in storage, or what? So well, the 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 data collection is coming from the deep the NASA Deep Space Network because that's what we use for all of our space missions. It's a series of antennas all over the globe, and what we are able to do, like. Uh, the software that is on Voyager is not the soft, same software, operating software, that it was launched with. We've been able to update it and move it along, not nearly to the capacity that the probes now have, but a you know, little bit greater data storage, uh, compression of data is things that we can do now on the mission that we couldn't do before. So it's we're making tweaks. But yeah, I mean, the data we're getting just gives us an idea of how large the solar system is. 
So, so, and who in our end, like, how, how, like, what is the processing turnaround on that kind of stuff? Like, we get, like, I know, for example, like, for, for SETI, you know, like, they, mm-hmm. they actually, and my, my dad had a screensaver <laughs> a few years ago, but it was like, SETI kind of made like a screensaver. Oh, SETI at home. Yeah, yeah. So you can process, like, we're going we're gonna to study all of the, the, the signals and the information we get. And we're going we're gonna to farm this out to you guys and your processing power because it's going to take us forever to get through that. Now, I, I assume that the Voyager is sending us a lot less, a lot more manageable amount of, of data uh, than, like, SETI, for example, right? I mean, because SETI uh, has, has, you know, all these giant dishes <laughs> pointing up in the space for Voyager, just that one out there floating around. So so does it take a long time to kind of sift through all this data, or how, how does that process uh, tend to work? It, we're not getting a lot, of, like you mentioned, we're not getting a lot of data. It takes about 20 hours for the signal to come one way to us. And, you know, there's not a full-time crew operating like there is on the rover on Mars or anything like that right now at JPL. It's a very limited staff doing the Voyager work, not like the old days when it was first launched. Yeah. So they, they count down the days till, till 2025 when there's... <laughs> When there's nothing else to do, or <laughs> I, I, well, the people that are on it now are not the people that started on the program. So, you know, a lot of them are no longer with us. Right? So it's 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 gone through some changes. Yeah, yeah. And so, I mean, Voyager, it, it, it really uh, opened up our eyes to like like Jupiter and and Saturn, right? I mean, these were like the best. Like most of the classic pictures we see of these planets are probably from the Voyager probe, right? Yeah. Yeah, and this Cassini mission that went by Saturn later. Yeah, the 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 imaging and the photographs that they took. I mean, Voyager one uh, went by Jupiter and Saturn. Jupiter in '79 and Saturn in uh, in, in, in 1980. And Voyager two. Uh, the thing is with Voyager one, it stopped at Saturn because after it went by Saturn, it did a little flyby of Titan, one of the moons of Saturn. And once it did that, it swung its orbit outside the plane of the solar system. If you think of all the planets, they're on like a plane, equal plane. And in order to get the Titan probe or the Titan photographs, we had to swing up and around, which shot it out of the plane of the solar solar system. Voyager 2, on the other hand, it stayed within the plane, so it was allowed to do what we call a grand tour. It went by Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus, and Neptune. So using a slingshot effect type thing. Now, in my brief research <laughs> on this, now, now that's the mm-hmm. only probe that's gone by Uranus. Is that correct? Yes, yeah. Okay. Wow. So, I mean, so did we, do did, did we feel like, I mean, I don't know, right? Uh, do we feel like, okay, we got all this stuff covered. We're not going to send these kind of probes out anymore, like after Voyager? Because there was Voyager 1, there was Voyager 2, and there, mm-hmm. there weren't any more, despite what, despite what Star Trek would tell us, right? I mean, do we feel like, okay, we got, right. we got all the information we needed. We don't need to do this anymore. Like, well, like why did we kind of wind down on these kind of exploratory probes we've been sending out in the 70s? Well, because another program came up, and that was the uh, space shuttle. Oh, it's all really? where the money goes. I, mean, <laughs> I hadn't heard of that, yeah, too. I mean, no. <laughs> yeah, this, okay, it, I got it's, you. I now, 1981, we launched this little thing. Yeah, it's a, it looks like a little truck going into space. And the shuttle program took a lot of the money from uh, from NASA because we wanted to keep men in space. It had been a while, like it's now been a while since we've had men in space. So the shuttle program went from 81 to 2011, and that's where a lot of the focus, along with that, the International Space Station was being built. So... You know, we did have our Mars probes, the Mars Exploration Rover program, and things like that that were uh, went on a long time, along along the same times. And, and I guess the Hubble telescope as well kind of serves a lot of the same function as a Voyager, even far surpassing surpassing what its range would have been. Correct? There's nothing like flying right above the planet. Uh, okay. I mean, it's, <laughs> you know, what what you can see and the discoveries you can make are you know. It, 
it's better be in there than taking a picture from billions of miles away. Well, yeah. I mean, I guess it'd be like, it's a difference between, you know, because I'm a photographer. So this is the way I think about it. It's the difference between like mm-hmm. a, an optical zoom, like with the Hubble telescope, mm-hmm. and then like you have a true lens, which like you go, you have a 200 millimeter on something as opposed to like, let me just keep zooming in on my iPhone here, right? It does, it's not quite the same thing. It's a whole nother level, but I assume that's, that's kind of the, the difference in like the detail, the images and stuff you'd be getting versus the Hubble versus, as you said, flying right above the planet. It's hard to beat, right? Yeah, put your camera on micro, macro right above the planet. Yeah, I'd rather do that. A lot better images, just and that's what we attempted to do. Flip it over to portrait mode. Get a lot more detail in those, uh, <laughs> in those pictures, right? right? Yeah, so, yeah. So, so, so Voyager 1, Voyager 2, you know, uh, it, it always did strike me odd that, that Star Trek did Voyager 6. I guess maybe they didn't want to, like, scare people. and like, yeah, Voyager's out there, and it's coming back to get you to that. As someone who's really into this, like, like when you saw like motion picture, like oh, it's it's Voyager six. Like, what did you think about Star Trek using this? It wasn't like a quote unquote real one, but the same series of probes. Like, what did you think about their their turn uh, using that in the film? I thought it was cool. I mean, it was what t- uh, motion picture was released what, in seventy nine, something yeah. like that. Mm-hmm. And so it was just two years after, you know, we we went by uh, oh, actually the launch of. Uh, uh, the Voyager probe. So, you know, we didn't know how many we were going to have at the time. It really, we really didn't. Six was just like a, those Eugenic Awards in 1996. You know, sometimes Star Trek gets it right. The, I remember those, you know. <laughs> sometimes they don't. I was 30 when those took place. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Whatever happened to Con and them, they all went missing, right? Uh, but anyway. Yeah, uh, they did. Yeah, we launched them into Botany Bay, that thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I mean, and that, that's a really cool thing how it, it really ties, the motion picture tied into, like, as you said, right two, two years after they launched. Current mm-hmm. events, you know? I mean, like, it's kind of like I, the, the best thing I can compare it to is, like, in The Martian came out a couple of years ago, and that kind of jump started a lot of people's, like, interest in NASA again. I don't know if it. If it had the kind of longevity, maybe it was more of a flash in the pan. But it was for, for like a, a brief few months. It seemed like the whole country was like back on to like interested and tuned into space. And we have that when you can have that kind of synergy between your science fiction and your science fact going on. I think that's a real powerful thing for science and entertainment. Uh, the Martian was an amazing. It's, it's just an amazing story too. How it came to be a movie. So it's I don't know if you're familiar with that at all, but. Uh, the gentleman that wrote it, he put it out there on the internet for review, and a bunch of guys at JPL started doing peer reviews of the story. You know, no, we wouldn't do this. Yes, we would do this. And th- he molded the story, and he actually, the he got he signed for the movie before there was even a book done. Wow! No, I, I did not know that. <laughs> yeah. The, the, then the people making the movie said, "Well, now we want a book to go along with it, so now you got to tie all tie it all together." So it was really interesting, and I love the Martian because a lot of it is things we would actually do as NASA. Yeah, it's and it, like like Roddenberry used to bring people in, you know, to to confer on Star Trek. The Martian, I didn't know that like JPL guys were peer reviewing. I mean, no wonder it feels so. Oh yeah, no wonder it feels so. I mean, obviously they stretch a few things here and there, but it feels mm-hmm. as accurate as you can be. I mean, that's probably the most accurate sci-fi movie we've gotten. Since I don't know Apollo thirteen, yeah, that was based on real events. So that's that's true. Yeah, and you know, to generate public interest, I mean, the only thing I could see close to it right now is Elon Musk launching a Tesla into space. I mean, that was the, the generation. Everybody was talking about that. Yeah. Everybody had it on their that computers. Famous photo seeing... of the spaceman up there. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. I just wish he had a robotic arm and he would yeah. wave. That's all. <laughs> see, that I, that I think you dropped the ball on that one. It cost about seven million more dollars to have that kind of that. Kind it's of Elon Musk. There. Does it really matter? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. What is it? Right. What does it matter? 
So, but yeah, the, the Voyager probes, it, it's, they've always been just mainly just because of Star Trek. I've been like, what, what I'm fascinated in, in this stuff. So I know you'd be the, the perfect guy to talk to you about it with. And, and, and yeah, and I, and I agree with you. I think that was a, that's a really great twist in Star Trek, the motion picture. You don't think about the motion picture having like a, like a twist ending, but that really is kind of a, like a, you think it's this alien who's coming, just another powerful alien, just, just passing through the galaxy, doing its thing, you know, and it turns out that, you know, we are the creator. And yeah, they kind of did. Right. They kind of did lift some from uh, the changeling, I guess, with Nomad, right? <laughs> I mean, there's a little mm-hmm. bit, a little bit of that in there. Uh, but making it tie into something that we all knew, and especially in the '70s, where this was, this would be on the cover of magazines and newspapers. And if you were tuned to any of this, you would, you would know what the Voyager was, right? And and I think you know, and not to be like presumptuous about Star Trek's importance, but I, you know, people will remember the Voyager program longer, far longer, because it's featured in one of the Star Trek movies. Would you not agree? That's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah, Viger. Viger. <laughs> Viger. And, and I never I never realized that the people used to spell it like V E J E R. Like if you like read it written, I think maybe in like the like the motion picture novel or something like when you when they spell before you before they go see it. And of course now we all spell it V apostrophe G E R. Right. But uh, it's funny to to see different spellings and stuff at the time, you know, probably stuff of the time they didn't want to like, give away that it was a it was a uh, it was it was one of those classic. Oh no, it it's not this. Wipe this away, and it's that. I remember. And um, have you ever seen the, uh, the the Tim Burton Planet of the Apes remake? Yeah, they did yeah, the yeah. same thing. They have the, they have the spoilers for a eighteen year old movie now, which has been the franchise has been rebooted already. So sorry <laughs> if you haven't seen it, guys. But like like they have this the apes have this holy city or holy place called Kali Ma, right? And um, they they finally go there. And it's it's Mark Wahlberg's crashed spaceship, and he goes up to like the sign. This is Kalima, and he wipes it off, and it says "Caution, live animals," because they had you know apes and stuff that like get on the ship. And I was like, okay, you know, that, obviously I thought of yeah, a right. motion picture for that, and then of course they have that crazy talk about a twist ending for that one. But anyway, so <laughs> right, that's true. So Tim, like ultimately, I guess what what would you say would be like the legacy? of these Voyager probes, you know, for space exploration, you know, they kind of paved the way for certain things or things of that nature. I think the legacy of the Voyager program um, is something Carl Sagan called the pale blue dot. I don't know if you've heard of that, Um, but one of the discoveries that they made when uh, Voyager one was flying past Jupiter, they realized there was a time where they could swing the cameras back toward the earth and through the rings of Jupiter, they could take a picture of the earth. And what they did is they took three frames of the earth, um, showing nothing else in space, just, and all you saw was a little, little pale blue dot. And one image from the, uh, one image from Voyager makes up 640,000 pixels. And uh, you're in digital, you know what a pixel (laughs) is, a a basic uh, chip where you're, uh, in your digital camera has a chip and it's made up of tiny little squares and each one of those little squares is a pixel. Well, the the chip on the Voyager had 640,000 pixels. Well, the Earth takes up less than one twelfth of a pixel on that image. And Carl Sagan, he, uh, when that image came out, if I can read what he wrote. Oh, absolutely. He said, consider that dot. That's here. That's home. That's us. The Earth is a very small stage in a vast cosmic arena. To my mind, there's perhaps no better demonstration of the folly of human conceits than this distant images of our tiny world. To me, it underscores our responsibility to deal more kindly and passionately with one another and to preserve and cherish 
that pale blue dot, the only home we've ever known. And, I mean, he wrote that 30 years ago. And with Earth Day just passing a few weeks past, I mean, I, I read that again, and I'm like, he's hitting it on the head. Yeah, I mean, it really puts things in perspective, you know, because we think we are the, I mean, Star Trek doesn't help to make you think that Earth is the center of the universe because everything always, oh, that's, that's the right course for Earth, right? But yeah, I mean, right. take a zoom out, people. I mean, we are, I mean, we're, we're, we're in the, like, if you, if you rank all the planets, I mean, even in size, we are right down there in the bottom third and the bottom rung. Yes, we are. And um, it's Pluto, hey, is Pluto a planet still? Is it back? Is it not? What's, what's the word? It's, it, it's technically not a planet. Okay, because I because I heard they might be reconsidering that. But anyway, <laughs> they are they are considering it, and you know, write Neil deGrasse Tyson and tell him he made a mistake years ago. And <laughs> <laughs> no, but, but I mean Carl Sagan, right? One of the great scientific minds of our time, really had a way, much like Neil deGrasse Tyson. Now, I mean, I mean he's yes. he's the spiritual successor, right? The Cosmos series, you know, all those things, you know, kind of bringing bringing science to to the people, to the layman, and that's that's what I've always found is you know, growing up like. It's, it's like man like like space is cool but like it's it's hard to like market it to people and you know, you know if, if that makes sense because it's like you know the 60s you had the space race you had the moon you're like that's exciting we're gonna get to the moon and all that um but now it's i i, I do understand as much as i'm interested in space and exploration i understand why the general populace is like yeah whatever <laughs> because like yeah. what is our like we need to go. We need to like go to Mars. We need to go. We need to do. We need to go somewhere and do something and get people excited about it. Because just again, look at the Martian. People got excited about that for a few months. You know, you got to tap into that. You got to channel it. That's true. During the seventies, Carl Sagan was a regular guest on the Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. Johnny was an amateur astronomer, so he loved having Sagan on, and he was the type of guy who explained black body radiation theories where the normal person sitting at home with a beer watching TV could understand what the heck he was talking about. And that's what uh, Tyson has tried to do because he redid basically the Cosmos series that, uh, that, that Sega did years ago. But yeah, the popularizing uh, space, you know, not just Star Wars or Star Trek, but actually what we can actually do and what we discover. I think that's why I like working for NASA because every mission I work on is different. I mean, right now I'm, a, I'm working on a, uh, a uh, weather satellite and there's five set weather satellites in the suite that we're building. We've already launched two. We have another one in storage and the next one, well, the next two are currently being built, but everyone is a little bit different and the, the things we're going to learn about the earth is completely different with every single one as well. So just because the technology that we're using on them changes slightly. Mm-hmm. Now, when you, when they launch these satellites, because again, like I, I'm interested, but I'm clearly not as knowledgeable as I thought it was when I talked to guys like you about about NASA and stuff. Obviously, but like, do these all launch from Florida, or they launch from other sites when we launch these things in space? Now, the program I'm working on, we launched out of Vandenberg Air Force Base uh, here in California, and the reason is is the type of orbit you would go in. From Vandenberg, we do what's called a polar orbit. We we orbit over the north and south pole. From, from uh, Kennedy, we do uh, along the ecliptic, along uh, east-west axis of the Earth. So the, like polar orbits, every time we go around, we're taking a swath of photographs of the Earth. As the Earth turns, another swath. another. So it's, we're mapping the entire Earth, basically. Okay. What, what would a standard orbit require? Where would you launch from, from that? Uh, a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, wait. <laughs> a, sta- a standard orbit, I, I don't know what that would <laughs> Me, a standard orbit is north-south, because that's what I've been working on for seven years. 
It's funny, yeah, because you say standard orbit, and on, on Star Trek, you're like, well, I guess that's just like around like the above the equator in the northern hemisphere of the yeah, planet. Yeah, I, I, I picture like. a standard orbit on Star Trek as what we would call a parking orbit, where mm. it you're going around the planet the same speed as the planet is rotating. So you're over a single point all of the time. That's what I. That's that's my head cannon. Well, that, that's that's great, Dan. I mean, like I, I I really enjoy kind of delving into some science stuff because uh, I like I said I, I've been my dad was on the NASA uh, when he was a kid. I was in mm-hmm. the space race and it's something that we've kind of you know followed together and all that. Right. And, you know, I have a space center in Houston down here in Houston, Johnson Space Center. I, I enjoy going there. Um and uh and and that and that's the thing. Like I I, I hope that we have some kind of like cultural breakthrough where everybody can kind of get behind and i understand it's money you know a lot of it, it comes is. down to money and that's why privatized space travel is really taken off and i don't know i mean what's your opinion i mean i don't want to like give you a conflict of interest here but like no you know, what, what's going to be the next step is it going to be nasa or is it going to be privatized space travel that kind of makes the next jump to the next level of space exploration you think well i think what spacex is doing right now is the right thing they had a hiccup recently with uh with their um, uh, their spacecraft, their manned spacecraft. Mm-hmm. So I don't know what, how that's going to affect. And they're not being real uh, visible with actually what happened. So And they don't need to be because they're a private company. You know, right. if, if NASA has a problem, CNN is knocking on our door the next day saying, what, how did you guys screw up? So CNN, uh, SpaceX does not need to do that. But then again, if we're going to launch people into space, they need to have more openness, more visibility to what's actually going on. I've seen SpaceX do launches where they get down to zero, they light the engines, and then they shut them down, and then 15 minutes later they launch the rocket. I sit there and I scratch my head going, there's no way in heck (laughs) that NASA could do that. We'd have months of meetings to figure out why the engine was shut down. So that's the difference between private and public company. I mean, Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I I hope in my lifetime I can go into space like on some kind of Mm -hmm. moon shuttle in 2001. We shall see. Well, cool. Well, Tim, thanks so much for sharing your knowledge about Voyager and space and all the good stuff. Now, you know, you do your Observers podcast, uh, right. but you that's not the only podcast you do. You actually have a, you just started another podcast with, uh, with some Star Trek shades still. Why don't you tell us about that? Yes. Thanks for asking. Uh, yeah, it's called uh, Generations, an independent Star Trek podcast, and I do it with my son. My son, Doug, who you've met and uh, and uh, Haley has met from Star Trek Las Vegas. And he and I, for the last five years, have been doing what fathers and sons normally do. Instead of going on fishing trips, we go to STLV every year. It's <laughs> been our it's been our father-son time every year that we do things together. He lives up in Oregon. I'm in Southern California, but it's been our time to do things together. And I've been looking for a way that we can do something more trekky. And I came up with this idea, well, let's talk to families and friends and people that uh, introduce Star Trek to someone in their life, you know, a brother, a sister, a aunt, an uncle, a college roommate. So our first episode is out there is our pilot. And it's Doug and I talking about how I got him into Star Trek and how our difference, how our fandoms are different based upon our ages and things like that. And the last one that the episode, uh, that first, first real episode we uploaded was with, uh, Brandon Shea Mutella and his daughter. And that was good. And I've also talked to Haley and her daughter and Amy and her brother. Amy and her brother is the next episode. That'll actually be up when this uh, podcast goes live. So that was a lot of fun. It was a two-hour podcast. And it wasn't Amy doing all the talking. It was her brother, which really shocked me. <laughs> but it's we have seven podcasts right now in the can. And it's kind of nice not, not having a time-sensitive podcast. I can just collect all these and release them. We do on the first and third Friday of every month. But they're a lot of fun. I mean, it gives someone, you know, it gives family members a thing, also a memento of 
their relationship between each other at this point in time and how it relates to Star Trek. Yeah, and, that, and that's a great idea and a great title for it too. And, uh, yes. and I'm definitely going to be on. I know we've yes. talked about it before. Me, me and my dad are going to be on it as well coming up. And me, yeah, like well, me and my dad have gone to Star Trek Las Vegas. We went to the 50th, and I've gone back uh, uh, once, and I'll be back again uh, as well. And and yeah, I mean that's that's why I'm a Star Trek fan. It's because my parents yeah. kind of like raised me on <laughs> raised me on Star Trek. So, that, so that's a great that's a great angle for a podcast. You know, there's as we know. There are so many Star Trek podcasts out there, but that is that is a fresh, unique angle, which I think can really speak to everybody because everybody everybody has that story. Everybody has the you know, like as you said, the brother, the a brother, a father, a god. What's that line from <laughs> motion picture? Right? <laughs> but yeah, everybody has that somebody who like kind of introduced them to Star Trek, and and there's always a story to tell there. And I think you can kind of see yourself in the other people's stories, and and it's a lot of fun. So yeah, I'm looking forward to, to more of those. I'm looking forward to being on the being on the show with you coming up in the future. Okay, I'm gonna hold you to that. That's right. It's on the air now. (laughs) (laughs) Yay. (laughs) All right. Well, well, cool, Tim. Well, again, thank you so much for taking the time to sharing your your deep science and NASA knowledge with us here on Standard Orbit. And if people want to find you out there on the Internet, where can they find you? Well, I do hang out in the Babel Conference, B-A-B-E-L, and I I hang out in there sometimes. And uh, you can look for me there. On Twitter, I'm TimRobertson56. And you can also search for my podcast anywhere you look for podcasts. You got the Observer's Notebook and also Generations, an independent Star Trek podcast. There it is. Well, the Voyager program, NASA, science fiction and science fact, and all those things in between aren't the only thing we've been talking about on Trek FM this week. Here's a quick look at what else you might have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.fm, Earl Grey. But I don't know, like that that one, as I was looking through the examples, I was like, that's pretty badass to just take that risk and i think riker's taking it back he's like you're gonna kill deanna no don't do that but i I think she convinces him like this is this is the way we have to to do it so i don't know what do you think wow that was not even (laughs) on my radar (laughs) (laughs) well of course it's killing troy yeah (laughs) literary treks the it, it always frustrated me because on on screen we saw in depth the Klingon government, the Bajoran government, the Cardassian government, to a lesser extent, the Romulan government. We almost never saw the Federation government. You know, we, we three, three times we saw a president. Once we saw the council. The council was mentioned any number of times, but we never really saw it. Warp 5. I thought it was cool when he, when he, he hits it. And it's, it's like, like knocking wood. on the door. It's like... So did they install like a wooden neck for him or something? Right. It doesn't make any sense. You know what? I leave that up to, I guess people had less knowledge of biology overall, you know, the general public in 1939. So whatever. We're going to file that under. We we just got to go with it and we'll file that under our neck cannon. Yeah, right. (laughs) Exactly. Melodic Treks. Star Trek 3 was Christopher Lloyd's crew. You know, and and I mean, the, the, his impact on on that culture and race of Klingons and the rest of the franchise is, is, is still being felt. And and to me, he's my second favorite Star Trek uh, movie villain. Right, Khan would obviously be first, and then Krug is number two after that for me. Not the whale probe. Is the whale probe just misunderstood? <laughs> <laughs> and that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out these shows and find out what we're talking about in your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. You'll find us wherever you get your podcast. If you're an Apple user, get the show on iTunes or the Apple Podcast app. Be sure to hit the subscribe button. That helps us out greatly and makes it easier for other listeners to find the show. 
If you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find our shows on Stitcher, TuneIn, Speaker, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, and of course, you can stream and download the MP3 file from our website and grab the RSS link as well. If you would like to get in touch with us here at Trek FM, you can always find us on trek.fm slash contact and look in the sidebar on the show page. Or you can go to speakpipe.com slash trek.fm and please leave us a voice message. You can also contact us through Twitter at trek.fm, Facebook at facebook.com slash trek.fm, and the Babel Conference. Type the Babel Conference, that's B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook or go to our website at trek.fm and click discussion on the menu bar. Another way you can help us keep all of our shows coming to you each week is to become a patron of the network on Patreon. If you visit patreon.com slash trekfm, that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm, you'll find our current goals and different milestone contribution levels along with all the great perks we have for you. These perks include early access to content, exclusive content, producer credits, seats on our content development team, and more. We really appreciate any support you can give us and hope you'll join the team. Again, you'll find the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. Speaking of Patreon, thank you as always to our associate producers for Standard Orbit. They are Norman C. Lau, Nick Anastasio, Tim Robertson, Richard Marquez, Corey Elrod, and Dan Rhodes. You guys, uh, your, your contributions, your help, your support mean the world to us, and we appreciate you being associate producers on Standard Orbit. So to find me on the interwebs, you can find me on the Babel Conference. I'm there all the time. Or you can find me on Twitter at BostonSCPO. As for me, you can find me on Twitter at MoronZach. That's M-O-O-R-E-O-N-C-A-C-H. And I'm also the host of my own podcast, Always Holding on the Smallville, where we talk about each and every episode of that Young Superman show. You can find us on Twitter at AlwaysMallville with one S. You can find me on Twitter. I am at Trekkie01D. Celebrating Trek Tuesdays. That's tomorrow, everybody. Wear your Trek. Yes, and use the hashtag TrekTuesday. So thanks, everyone, for listening, and join us again next time here on Trek FM for another episode of Standard Orbit.